My daughter screamed hysterically. When I look back now of everything, that was the least of my problems. I just said, oh my goodness, you know, sometimes the most unexpected things happen. And he said the whole school was screaming and clapping, so it was, it was reminding. So nice. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michael Buller, and this is Beyond Cancer, a podcast from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute about the physical and emotional challenges that cancer survivors face after diagnosis. Today I'm talking with fellow lymphoma survivors, Gina Johnson and Connie Grayson, and we're talking about how to talk to your kids about cancer. Thank you both for coming well, in today. Thank you. Really excited to have you both here today, not just because you're parents, but also because you're both teachers. And so I know that you've spent time thinking about how you talk to kids about cancer and, and experiencing it, and I know it's something that's important to all of us who are parents. So I wanted to just start, if we could, we'll back up a little bit before we talk to how you talk to your kids and talk a little bit about uh, the diagnosis and how you uh, were first diagnosed and where you are now. And uh, we'll start with you, Connie. Okay, I was diagnosed and, well, I wasn't really diagnosed. I thought I had a hernia from moving my classroom. So I was getting my classroom ready during the summertime for back to school. And I felt a lump on my left-hand side, groin area. And I thought, they thought, that I had pulled a muscle moving furniture and they thought it was a hernia. So I went in the, right before Labor Day for a hernia operation, thinking it was going to be a hernia operation. No symptoms at all. I was feeling fine. And when they, the results came out that I had lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and the mass that I was feeling was a mass, the lymphoma mass which they removed and found out it was highly aggressive, but everything was encased in the mass. And, but I had to go through the chemo treatments in case there were any floaters or things left behind. So I started treatments immediately because it was so aggressive. Um, so within two weeks, I was at Dana-Farber starting treatments the end of September and went all the way till June. And now I am in remission. Fantastic. Yay. Yes. <laughs> That's the best news. And uh, Gina, for you? I went to the doctor because I thought I just had a bad cold that wouldn't go away. Yeah. And I had shortness of breath, like, uh, and so yeah. I figured it was bronchitis, walking pneumonia, you know, working with kids all day. I was like, oh. <laughs> so um, I went the Holy Thursday, and they said, when I went in there, they said, um, you're fine, you're fine. And then I was in my doctor's office for an hour and a half. I'm like, I just don't feel right. He wouldn't, he was like, you're fine, you're fine. And then um, finally, I'm like, walk behind me, because he kept saying, your oxygen's fine. I said, I feel like I can't catch my breath. And so when he was walking behind me, my oxygen went so low. So, and I was like, I, I feel like I'm going to pass out. And um, so finally, he sent me downstairs for an x-ray. And thank God, the head of radiology, for some weird reason, was filling in for someone. And she was like, beautiful, like Dr. LaCase. You know, you look at her, <laughs> and you're like, what are you doing as a doctor? You're too beautiful for this. <laughs> thank God you are a doctor. But um, when I went in the back room, they, she told me, if your doctor doesn't call you in an hour, call him. And they said, like, if she hadn't looked at that x-ray, because even though it was 12 centimeters, it was huge, it was behind, like, my rib cage, my sternum and everything. And they said a trained eye wouldn't have found it. And that's uh, why you were shortness of breath, because, yeah. it, was, because it was interfering with your lungs? Yep. My oxygen was went real low. Mm -hmm. I, it was like I went from, you know, running around doing everything to like the next week couldn't walk to the mailbox, couldn't walk up my stairs to sleep. It was crazy. And then the ball started rolling every day. It was a different doctor's appointment, and at first they thought it was lung cancer, and then I was diagnosed with lymphoma. 
So tell me a little bit about where you teach, both of you, um, and how long you've been teaching and kind of set the stage for how long the kids have known you and what your relationship is with those kids. Okay, <laughs> so Gina, um, I teach in Lawrence, Massachusetts at the Leahy School. I'm a reading specialist, so I have kids from K to five, and I also teach ESL class with a lot of the kids are ESL, so it kind of goes together with the reading. And um, I had been there when I got sick. I was there for 18 years. So I'm on my 20th. And we, a lot of us have been together at that little elementary school for a long time. So we're very close. We're a close-knit family. And even the new people that came in when I got diagnosed, because I never did go back to work that day, and I was out for the rest of the year, so supportive, came to my house, brought meals. We, we would have traffic jams in front of my house. They're like People were unbelievable. And as far as the kids went, I think the teachers had a conversation with them because they wore jeans um, one day and they gave me the money for parking at Dana-Farber, so it was so nice. They came and delivered it to my house. They made cards, so I know there was a conversation with the kids, with, with the teachers that were at the school. And then when I went back the following January, I went back to visit a couple times in the fall, but when I went back the following January, the kids were fantastic. I mean, depending on what age they were is what I would tell them, but they, I was bald, so they knew something was up. So I was just really honest with them. You know, I was sick, I had cancer, but I'm doing great now, and hopefully that will continue. And I told them just enough, but not too much. And I kind of left the door open. If you have questions, you can come and ask me. And if it's too personal, I won't answer you. And if it's not, I'd be happy to answer your questions. A lot of them I feel like were a little bit nervous and standoffish when I first came back, like, why'd you cut your hair like that? <laughs> you know, so I had to say, I would never cut my hair like this, but um, they were great. And the parents were great. My staff was incredible. So I did get a lot of support. And we did a big fundraiser for Dana-Farber last year and, and raised a lot of money for Dana-Farber. And people, they just embraced me when I came back and have been really good to me. So it's, it's, it's been good. So you're, the kids that you teach, um, because it, you, you, you're not limited to one grade right so you so you track with kids yes. throughout so you were when you went back the kids that you went back were also the kids that you had taught before exactly uh, yes did you notice any differences between like the kids who had worked with you before and and did they did they talk to you approach you in any different ways than, than the new kids who you were new that year with yes yeah. I think the kids who I'd had before um, you know, when they saw me, they said, like, where were, where were you? What happened to you? You never came back. Or a couple of them said, like, we did really well on our reading test. And, you know, they were happy to tell me, like, how good they were doing. So that was nice. That made me feel good. Or did you get the card that I sent you? Things like that. So that was really nice. And I think the new kids that might not have known me before were a little bit more standoffish, like, what's going on with her? She looks a little different. But, you know, I just honestly didn't make a big deal of it. And I don't, I think, um, you know, sometimes I go into classrooms and sometimes the kids would raise their hand and ask the teacher what happened to her. Is it true, Mrs., you know, they'd be in the middle of the lesson and the kids would raise their hand. Is it true Mrs. Johnson had cancer? Yes, that's up to her to tell you later. You know, and I told the teachers I'm perfectly fine with the answer is yes. And if you have any questions, you're welcome to come and ask me. That's great. How about you, Connie? So I'm t I teach at the Arthur D. Cummings School in Winthrop, which is a very small community. I've been living there my whole life. In fact, I still live in the same house I was born in. That's oh, how I awesome. didn't move from 
and I've been teaching since 81, so you can figure out how many years <laughs> I was trying to <laughs> So many, many years. I taught at a parochial school in the town, and then I got uh, my public school job, which I've taught third, fourth, and fifth. So I was diagnosed right around Labor Day when I had to start school, and I decided to, I wanted to start school. And I ended up being able to work through the whole cancer and treatments. My superintendent and my principal were amazing. They just said, whatever you need, you do. If you need to take a half a day, you take a half a day. If you need to come in for an hour and leave, you can. And they put a aide, a support person, that was a certified teacher in my classroom with me. Nice. So it all, I had someone with me at all times, and then they even put another aide in. Nice. So I was very fortunate. And at the time, right before the first week of school, one of my students' parents passed away from cancer. So at that point, it was a discussion that I felt I'd have to have with my class. Right. Because not only that now I had cancer, but his mother had just passed away, and I had to go to her wake, and it was something that we had to discuss the cancer. All patients do not die from cancer. So the uh, conversation started very early in September where we watched some videos on brain pop about cancer and how cancer happens and different types of cancer. And we read stories about it as part of our reading. We went through the stages of what would happen with chemo and cancer and we decided to make a cancer meter because I knew that at times I wouldn't be my full self and at times I wouldn't even be there because I'd have to stay home. So they knew that when the cancer meter was at 12 that I was feeling really good. And then when the numbers started decreasing, that means my energy level was decreasing. And if it got to about three or two, they knew that they probably wouldn't see me for a couple of days, that I needed to take a little rest. So that was really helpful as a visual for them. And then I also had the school psychologist come in and talk with me not there about questions that they might have about me that they were afraid to ask me personally. Got it. And then we discussed like what would be helpful for them and they really did not want to see me bald. That was one thing that was really important to them. It, it bothered them to see you bald. So they didn't want it, they just wanted me to look like me. Mm -hmm. So, and my daughter was the same way. She didn't want to see me bald at first, but then she was fine afterwards. So I did get a wig hated the wig and wore the wig to school every day faithfully until June when it was a really hot day and it was field day and we were going outside and I think it was like 95 degrees that day <laughs> and I had bought baseball caps, lime green baseball caps because lime green's for lymphoma and we decided the day that they were ready to see me without my hair would be the day that we would all wear the baseball caps. So the day was, I asked him that day, I said, do you think it could be, this could be the day that I took my baseball cap off? And we went down to field day with our baseball caps on. I took my wig off and went down to um, the field with the baseball caps on and they all agreed. And so that was like the uh, first week in June. And that was when I took my wig off and I had, had it off ever since. How did they react? They told me I look beautiful. Oh, they told me not nice. to put my wig back on, that they thought I looked beautiful without it. That's so Except nice. one little boy that I had in fifth grade, I was walking down and he's like, why would you ever do that with your hair? Now everyone in the whole school knew that I had cancer. Mm -hmm. And he's like, why would you ever do that with your hair? And I said, okay, Andrew, what had just happened? But he just never made the connection. Yeah. 
And then I we, I also Skyped them. So when I was going through chemo, I Skyped them so they could see, actually see me getting the chemo and what it was like and how it wasn't painful. And we would converse back and forth on the last day when you, I'm making you cry, on the last day when um, you get the final, mm -hmm. last chemo, yep. um, I called up the office and I said, I just want to know this is my last chemo, I'm they're saying everything's fine. And this principal went over the intercom and said, okay, everyone freeze. I have good news, Mrs. Grayson got her last chemo, no more chemo for her. And he said the whole school was screaming and clapping, so it was, it was reminding so nice. yeah. I was very fortunate, and also the site coordinator of the after-school program, so I run an after-school program for the school. And I run a summer camp program, so we were telling, talking to the person who gives us our grant money, funding. And she said, well, we have a service learning grant that's coming out this summer. Would you like to do something to connect with Dana-Farber? And so we connected with Dana-Farber and they did a fundraiser this summer. And they decided that they knew how hard it was for me going to chemo and sitting there for so many hours. They said it must be really hard for a student to go through it. Like how, what right. do they do? Like they just sit there? And I said, yeah, it was basically they do. There's not really much you can do. Mm -hmm. So they decided on their own to get a treasure chest, which we have finished almost, we just have to shellac it, and they painted it. And inside, they asked all the teachers to bring in something that they could do while they're going through chemo, like a puzzle or a book or a painting, and we're going to fill up the treasure chest with that. And they made a mural that says, you're one in a minion. That's so great. So it's been a very positive thing for the students. You were talking about the one kid who didn't connect, right? My kids were uh, 7 and 10 when I was diagnosed in uh, 8 and 11 um, when I actually told them because with my uh, with follicular lymphoma you can watch and wait which I did for a year before I was treated and I never was sick. It strikes me that there's such a such a variety of reactions but there's also such a variety of connectivity that kids make. Some, mm -hmm. some just connect the dots all the way through and I was talking to my son last night and I was telling him we were, we were gonna have this conversation and there are things that he connected, but he didn't, he didn't quite remember that chemo. He came to the last chemo, but he didn't quite remember that it was intravenous. He thought that, that I took pills, or, which I didn't. And so I'm wondering, this is a giant, long setup of a question, but I'm just wondering if you found there were kids who connected better than others, and, and if there were any, any surprises that you found as you talked to the kids when you came back. Can I skip ahead a little bit to my own kids? Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> I was just thinking of a story. When you were telling that story, it was getting me so emotional. My son, when we told the kids at the kitchen table that I was sick, because it all happened so fast, my daughter screamed hysterically, and she was 15. I can't believe this. You're going to have that fat face in the bald head. No, no, no. That was her only concern. This is terrible, like, for her and for me. I think she, you know, felt that a little bit. But my son just sat dead-faced. I mean, everybody at the table was crying. And he was like, is that it? I'm going to go up in my room now. So that was a big... How and old was he? And so he was 13. So a huge disconnect. And he never wanted to talk about it, but um, suffered emotionally. You know, had severe anxiety, never wanted to leave my side, like still struggles with it today. He's just a nervous, nervous kid. And it all started that day. But uh, you were reminding me of a story because I always wanted to do all the things mothers did when I was sick. So there was one day when I was really sick, but I wanted to pick my son up at school. And so I got into the parent carpool lane, and I had a little hat that I had on my head. 
and because I was bald, I never got a wig or anything because I was at home. But I went to pick him up in the parent pickup lane, and I didn't know that his friend was going to come home with us too. So he came over to the car, and he looked just mortified. And he was like, Mom, I did not know that you were coming to pick me up today. Dad was supposed to pick me up. And I thought it was because I had the little hat on my head. So he's like, but it's fine. So he said, can we give my friend a ride home? So he got in the car, and he said, Mom, take that ridiculous hat off. You look fine without it. And he kind of rubbed my head. Mm. But just that was like the mm. first time that he was kind of, it was like he was okay with it. So it just makes me emotional when I talk about mm. it because he was so closed up. But that one day, and, and especially in front of his friends, you know, that he was like, it's okay, you know. So from that day on, I was like, okay, he's, he's going to be fine with this. And my daughter just researched everything on the Internet, had a million and five questions. I, how could you be stage four? That means people are going to die. You know, she came out with all the questions, but she also wanted to go talk to someone. So she, she was good. As far as the kids at school, I think the older kids, like the fourth and fifth graders, had a lot more questions. Yeah. The younger kids were just kind of like, okay, you know, she's back. That's awesome. Um, but the older kids were like, well, what was it like? And why did you cut your hair like that? And how sick were you? And did you almost die? They had a lot more of the serious questions and a lot more questions in general. And they still ask me questions to this day. You know, when they know that I'm going to be out, I'll tell them, like, tomorrow I'm out. I have a big doctor's appointment at the hospital. I'm, I'm very honest with them. But they still ask me questions like, well, what is, what is the doctor going to tell you? So, like, some kids can connect the dots, and some kids are just like, the younger kids are like, I'm glad you're back. Mm -hmm. That's it, <laughs> you know? My older son, he's much more quiet and internal. I don't think he's asked me a question uh, about it. But my younger son always asks questions, uh, always. And he asked the question, which I want to ask whether you guys have heard this question, and I'm guessing you have, which is, are you going to die? Mm -hmm. Which is, and, and I knew he was going to ask the question, and I was prepared for the question, but I wonder how you dealt with it. Um, uh, Jenny, you were talking about honesty and the importance of honesty, and so I'd love to hear how you uh, answered that question with either your, your, your school kids or, or your own kids. My daughter was very upset because she was at the time 18. And she, now I'm going to get upset. <laughs> My father had died two years prior from cancer. He had uh, melanoma. And then her father died the following year from, um, he had alcoholism problems. So she had lost two p very important people in her life. And at the same time, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. So she had seen cancer take the, her fa grandfather, who we lived with, and then now her grandmother. And then I had to tell her that I also had cancer. So she was very, very angry. And she asked, if, you know, are you going to die like Papa? And I said, well, we're all going to die someday. And I'm hopefully going to be strong enough to fight this and not die. That's my goal. And we all have goals in life. And we just have to keep reaching for those goals and see where it takes us. And that's, I, just, I didn't say yes, I didn't say no, I just said, I'm, you know, my goal is not to. Right. And I am going to fight it as hard as I can. But she also was at college at the time, and at that, she decided to live at home with me. And um, that's when I decided, like, I had the choice of either taking time off from work or going to work. And I felt like if I took time off from work, I thought it was going to be harder on her because she was going, because that's what my father did. He needed to take time away from everything and then it just snowballed. He, would, he just had a different 
type of cancer and couldn't control it. They couldn't control it. So with me, I fought through it as much as I could to help her fight through what she was going through. What I was concerned about is he was going to hear from school about somebody whose father or grandfather or sibling had died from cancer. And so for me, it was making sure that he understood that there are lots of different cancers. Mm -hmm. There are many different types of cancer. There are many different types of lymphoma, and they're all different. Um, and that was, that was my strategy. He still asks questions. Mm -hmm. He's just, he's a kid who asks questions. Mm -hmm. And he'll hear this, and he'll know that, that I'm talking about him. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get back to your son at the... Uh, anxiety that he was feeling. Hmm. Were there any secrets of how you dealt with that over the years or over the months from when you initially told him and whether there was any secrets of success that you could share because I'm sure a lot of teenage boys would react in a very similar way. I think just reassurance. You know, if I noticed that he's getting a little bit anxious, like yesterday he might have been a little bit anxious, and my, I said, he's a teenager now, so he could definitely go to the bus stop with my daughter by himself, but I called my mother yesterday and just said, you know what, can you be at the house because in case he gets a stomach ache in the morning or anything, I want to make sure he's okay. But I think with him, too, it's more just being open and talking about it. Like, I'll say, I'll initiate the conversation. Like, I know you're probably feeling nervous about this, but don't worry, like, when you get home from school, I'm going to be here and, and you know, kind of reassuring him. And he'll be like, oh, Mom, you're so ridiculous. I wasn't even thinking about that. But you can kind of see his face, like, settle a little bit like, okay, you know, I'm okay. So with him, it's more just, you know, talking to him and saying, I bet you're thinking this right now and trying to figure out what he might be thinking and just say, you know what, I'm going to be fine and, and everything's good. You know, he's, he's like this with tests at school and, and things too. So I bet you're nervous about your test today. You know, you're going to be fine. And if anything, you can go to the nurse and call me. And I think having like a way out, you know, someone you can talk to or you can go see this person or you can text me. I think that calms him down a little. My daughter's going through really bad anxiety. I think from everything this town or it's like post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. that she's feeling right now. And she got a job at the pet store. Nice. which has done amazing, just petting a dog. So now at Merrimack, they're allowing social-emotional dogs to come on campus. So she's going to get a social-emotional dog in May to train to bring on campus with her. That's Because they're finding with kids and anxiety that having a dog as a pet or something to pat and keep near your heart is helpful. Don't you think that it's like that with kids, though, too? Like your students, like I'll kind of, you have to bring humor into it. Yeah. Like I'll say, I bet you're wondering why my hair, you know, I was trying to grow it out and it looked, you know, I had the big, big curls. And right. so I said, I bet, I bet you, I love yours. But I would say, I bet you're wondering why my hair, because you see them staring at you, but you know, so I'll say, I bet you guys are wondering why my hair looks like this today. And they're like, kind of, you know, but it's just a nice, um, if you use humor, I feel like they're, you know, even with my little kids they're kind of more apt to say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we were wondering that. Or with the mm -hmm. older kids, they might say, yeah, we were kind of wondering what you were doing with that hair. Like, you need to spray it down. Like, they've said the craziest things to me. But I feel like if you use humor with them just to get them to open up, you know, then they're more apt to approach you and, you know, ask you. Oh, yeah. I just felt like with Dr. LaCase, when I saw her picture online, because I researched, like, good doctors for lymphoma. And when I saw her picture, I was like, that lady's smile will get me through anything. And I honestly felt like... At, the toughest times, like, you know, she just, even today when I met with her, you know, I'm having, like, a small issue, but she was like, in, we still have hope for this. Like, she always was just like, if this doesn't work, there's a plan B. 
So I think she kept me too, thinking like, this is gonna be fine. Mm -hmm. I just love that woman. <laughs> she is. Well, every, and everyone here, like when yes. you went to get your blood drawn, or you went into the chemo, or everyone was just so nurturing. It's and I think the hardest thing with the whole thing is, I know was with me was losing my hair. Mm -hmm. And it's after the fact, like when I look back now of everything, that was the least of my problems. Right. But at the time, that was the worst thing for me. Right. And I remember it because it was on Thanksgiving morning. I woke up and I went to take a shower and my hair started falling out into like clumps and we were having everyone at my house. Oh. And I came down and I said to my mother, my hair's falling out. She's like, okay, don't touch it. <laughs> hair spray it. We'll deal with it after the company leaves. <laughs> And that <laughs> night I went over to my girlfriend's house and we watched all, every single Christmas movie that was on TV <laughs> and she just kept brushing it because I was sort of freaked out about the buzzing part. Uh -huh. Brushing it and then brushing it until it all fell out and then it was like, okay, it's gone. Yeah. And I remember having one piece of hair that didn't fall out and I said, no one cut it. <laughs> I need that piece of hair. And so my daughter said, you look ridiculous. Like you have no hair and you kept this one strand. I don't know why it didn't fall out either. Just one strand stayed. And she's, I said, I'm keeping it. Yeah. That, that's my yep. promise that it's going to come back. But then after it fell out and after people saw you, it was like, this isn't the worst part of it. But exactly. that, that initial of losing your hair is terrible. Yep. If you could think about your experience and what's the one tidbit of advice you'd give to people uh, parents who may be going through this and having to talk to their kids, whether they're, you know, elementary school kids or teenagers, one piece of parting wisdom. Keep them talking. That was like so important. We always had a talk time in my classroom that we could talk about anything that they were, at, you know, thinking about or questioning that keep the kids talking about it, keep it open, don't keep it hidden, um, like do research. Brain Pop, there's great little videos for kids online. And with my daughter, like she was in counseling and I made sure that she consistently went to a counselor and keep them talking to someone outside the house so they were talking to someone, she was talking to someone other than me and keeping that mode of communication open at all times because I think that's so important. I think some parents and teachers feel like the less you talk about it, the better it is. And I just found it, I don't know if you did the opposite. The more you talk about it, the more comfortable they become with it. I agree. Keep the lines of communication open. And I think the, a big thing is honesty. You know, be honest with them. But, you know, you don't have to tell them too much. And there's some kids that want to know more. Mm -hmm. Like my daughter definitely wanted to know more. And my son did not want to know anything. And the kids at school, you know, you know which kids are going to ask you the, the questions. But you tell enough, but not too much. And I think humor had did did worlds of wonder for me, both at home and at school. And also getting them involved in a project that helped patients, really helped them go through it. We did a fundraiser in our school, and just giving them the opportunity to give back or to help people going through it was really empowering for them. Yeah, it gives them a little bit of a sense of control and right. a sense of that they can do something. Mm -hmm. like when, right, when there's a time in there, it feels like everything's out of control and nothing they can do for you, but this is something they could do to help patients. Right. 
and everyone wants to do something, but a lot of people don't know what to do, so sometimes people don't do anything. But I think when you open it up like that and you say, like, we're all involved in this. I had parents, I had a little kindergarten girl come and give me a $50 bill. She came with a $50 bill and gave it to me and said, my mother wanted me to give this to you. And I said, for what, honey? And she said, my aunt just died of cancer and she wanted to give back somehow and she didn't know how. That made me cry that day because that was, I just said, oh my goodness, you know, sometimes most unexpected things happen. You wouldn't expect that. My first class ever, so that was 1981, <laughs> so they're pretty old, all got together and gave me a basket. And in the, they knew that I liked art, so in the basket they put easels, they put paint, they put crayons, oh. and they just delivered it to the front door and then just left a note from your first class, oh 1981. My so but, nice. You know, it's just things like that you just mm -hmm. made me keep going on and fighting right. and get stronger. So, Connie Jean, I just want to thank you both for coming in today. This has been an episode of Beyond Cancer, a podcast from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. You can listen to this podcast at DanaFarber.org slash podcasts. You can also download this via iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like this podcast, you might also like our Cancer Conversations podcast. And you can find that as well at DanaFarber.org slash podcasts. I'm Michael Buller. Thank you for listening.